All right, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I think one of the things that we have to understand that as a church, and it's very serious to really connect with who we are as a church. Sometimes, like I said, you can just get in the routine of showing up. You, are, you can be very committed to this group of people, and I commend you for that. And this is a great group of people to be committed to. But we have to always get grounded. Why are we here? What makes a church a church? Now, one of the big convictions here as a fellowship is that we're kind of, historically speaking, part of what's called a restoration movement. I don't know if you ever heard that term. Have you ever heard that term? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, raise your hand if you haven't. Okay, great. Well, let me tell you about it. You see, it was interesting because I went to Sydney, Australia for two weeks. That's where I was. was uh, and um, there's a church there that used to be part of the ICOC. If you don't know who, what the ICOC is, it's kind of our affiliation of churches. Then in 2003, they broke off. And uh, now they're kind of trying to figure out, do they want to be part again? But part of the church does, part of the church doesn't. I went out there to see if I could kind of get them on the same page. Do you see how that works? But one of the things I realized is, wow, in Sydney, it's kind of wild. The ICOC is actually one of the smaller churches of Christ out there. There's like a whole network of churches of Christ out there that are actually much bigger than just what we have. And sometimes, you know, in talking to them and hearing their views and whatnot, I realize, gosh, you know what, there's a history called the Restoration Movement that we're part of. And what is that history? It's this. If you don't know what kind of church we are, we're here to actually try to live out the faith and the spirit of the first century church. That our notion of religion is that religion has drifted over the centuries, and that what we're trying to do is look in the scriptures, pray, read, and live out what we see. And somehow through living out the faith and the spirit of the first century Christians will bring to our community what God had always intended. Does that make sense? And so why do I pull you all together? Why do we say sit like this? Look around. It looks better when we're sitting like this. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The Bible says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You know, this is a description of how the early Christians lived. This is literally the first day of the Christian church. 3,000 people were baptized that day. Peter got up. It's the day of Pentecost. This is where what Christianity is supposed to be gets started. If you want to know, what is Christianity supposed to look like? What is Christianity supposed to feel like? It's right here. It's this devotion. And in the Greek, that means a continuing, a persistence. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You know, a lot of times, like I said, when we come to church, you're not just here to sing great songs. I love it. When um, James' song leads, he has this cool factor. I just get into it when he's singing. But, you know, what a great time. We're here. We're singing. But that's not why you're here. You go, why? Because you could hear good music and you could sing in the shower. Well, I'm here to hear the word. I'm here to be moved by the word. I'm here to be fed. And what have I said before? You could do that at home, too. Why are we here? You see, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We broke bread. We took communion. That's what they did. We prayed. And you know what? You pray at home, too. But what it says here is they were devoted to the fellowship. That's why we're here. It's the fellowship. And see, 
Today, we're going to explore how fellowship has a deeper meaning than you think. And today, we're going to try to explore what does fellowship really mean in the scriptures? You know, the um, Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia. You want me to spell it for you? K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. How do you pronounce it? It's kind of like saying mamma mia. Koinonia. Got that? Say it with me. Koinonia. Say it like in a cell. Koinonia. Anyways. Now you go, what does that mean? Here's the wild part. It doesn't literally mean fellowship. It literally means partnership. That's the literal definition. Participation, communion, and fellowship, but the literal meaning is partnership. Whenever you see the word partner in the Bible, it's koinonia. And you see the word fellowship, that's true. You see, fellowship, we think, because Christianity has gotten watered down. Fellowship is just showing up, singing them songs, being pleasant to one another. It's like, hey, how's it going? Let's sing a song. What a fellowship. You know, just hanging out, being pleasant, feeling an energy of a crowd. A lot of times we go, that's what fellowship is. No, it's actually partnership. You come in here and you say, this is my posse. This is my gang. This is who I'm partnered with. That's a deeper notion. Do you get that? It says, what happened with this partnership? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, this partnership had a purpose. This partnership transformed the community. Every day, people were getting saved, but it started. Yes, with their devotion to the teachings. Yes, with their devotion to prayer. But they were devoted to partnering. Not just fellowshipping, not just hanging out, but getting deeper than that. You see, this makes sense because it's how Jesus set up his ministry to begin with. Go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. I think a lot of times we want to see church be a certain way. We have become a consumer culture, not just in this room, but on this planet. When we think about Christianity, it literally has been said. I remember walking in to the doors new to this group. Hey, you know, I need to be fed. I haven't been fed. I need to be fed. It, it, you know, that's not actually what Christianity is. We have to start understanding that. There is a partnership that feeds us. And in, actually, in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any 
place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people without oil and healed them. You see, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out how? Two by two. He didn't send them out one by one. He didn't send them out one over another. He says, I want you to partner when you go out there. And guess what he said? He said, I don't want you to take anything with you. Have you ever watched The Amazing Race, that TV show? How many of you have heard of Amazing Race, right? You see, it's not Survivor. Survivors, you get a bunch of people on an island, and they're competing against each other for one winner, and it's cutthroat. You know what The Amazing Race is? Partners, going out with nothing, trying to cross the globe. And it bonds you when it's you and someone else, and you have nothing. And Jesus says, I want you to go out that way. And what did they do? You're going to experience victories together. You're going to experience fear together. You're going to just be thankful that someone decided to house you two in their homes. You're going to actually cast out demons. You're going to call people to repent. You're going to have all these amazing memories. Not one by one, but how? Two by two. You see, and that's important because let's go to Matthew. Matthew 28, verse 18. Partnership. That's literally the meaning of fellowship. And the first century church was devoted to it. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything. And I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, Jesus pulled them together. He says, I want you to go make disciples of all nations. And you know, when we hear this passage, we go, okay, I got to go and make disciples of all nations. I got to go and teach people to obey. I've got to, you know, baptize people. I, 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 I. But you know how those disciples heard it? They heard it at we. Because those 12 had been partnered all their time that they were with Jesus. It was so important to them that in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascended and they knew it was time to start the church, they said, we got to cast lots and find the 12th apostle because Judas had died. And so they, because they, they knew we have to have 12 of us because each of us has to be what? Partnered. It's what they experienced from the very beginning. It's that it would be in this church, we have to understand, you got to go, I don't know who my partner is. You need to. Because that's how they lived back then. You go, well, what do you mean? It's Jesus' heart. It's his passion. Go to Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, verse 36, I want us to get just a picture of the heart of God here. In Matthew 26, verse 36, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The reason why this could be written here is because people were with Jesus. And Jesus, at his roughest time, said, Hey, can you be my friend? Can you be with me? I am so bummed, I wish I were dead. Can you be on suicide watch with me? You know, many of us, when we go through hard times, what do we do? Wall, wall, wall. Dig a hole, put our head in it. Put a blanket over our head, sit in bed. 
and then wonder, how come no one's my friend? How come no one wants to be with me? No one's loyal. No one understands. That's not in Jesus' heart. He says partnership was so important to Jesus. He said, can I pull you in? Who did he pull in? Let's go on. Verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Who did he pull in? People who would let him down. That's how humble God is. God would come to this earth as a man, be betrayed by us, be crucified by us, only for the reason to pull us in. To say, I want to feel what you feel. I want us to be close. You know, partnership is so important. You go, well, how do we partner? How do we, how do we make this bond happen? There's only one real way to do it biblically, just to be honest with you. And I hate for some of you who have been here for a long time to go into like some sort of shock. But there's one way that we bond. And here's the thing I need you to remember for today and for like a long, long time. So much so I want this lesson to be heard by everyone in this ministry. We partner through purpose. That's it. We partner through purpose. Can you say that with me? We partner through what? Purpose. There's no other way to be close. You go, well, I'm close to my friends in the world. Yeah, because those are worldly friendships. Of course, you're going to bond with someone who likes tennis because you like tennis. Of course, you're going to bond with someone who likes the same music that you do. You're going to bond with someone who's the same background, same age, same ethnicity, same education. Of course, you'll do that. But that's not church. That's not God's church. We partner through what? Perfect. What? Perfect. And that's why those apostles fell asleep. They didn't understand what Jesus was about. They had no idea what Jesus was about to go through. They had no real connection to where he was going. And so they couldn't keep up with Jesus. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> Why is partnership so important? We see this right here. It's the pattern of the Lord. Partnership is the pattern of the Lord. Why do we know that? In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God exists in partnership. That's how Christianity is different from any other religion. The Muslims and the Jews are rooted in the same Old Testament. But that same Old Testament in Genesis chapter 2, when God is creating man and woman, he says, let us create man and woman in our image. Because God exists, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one. In 1 John, it says, God is what? Love. Because why? God exists in this trinity of three being perfectly united in what? Love. When God looks at the church, he says we should be how many bodies? One. When he looks at marriage, the two become what? One. This is a mystery that God wants us to live out and experience, that we could be so close, so excited to be together. It's in the Bible. It's God's heart. He exists that way. Go to John chapter 15.
I've been parking in John 15 a lot with this fellowship as well as the one in Faith Point because in it there's a lot of richness about who God is and how God is. But I want you to understand, Christianity is not a solo sport. Everything about being a disciple involves this notion of partnership. John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. You see, Jesus exists in partnership. He's the vine. God ha- Jesus has a role. God has a role. Let's go in verse 26. Jesus says, In chapter 15, verse 26, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Just to help this world find God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together. Jesus the vine, God the gardener, the Spirit the testifier. There's a oneness. There's a purpose to God's existence. I want you to understand the value of this. Mike uh, Glenn brought a friend, Paul Kim. Do you guys remember him? He, was, he, he initially came here, and then Mike was studying with him. Then he took a stint over in Faith Point. You know, you know, then after that, he went up to downtown. He finally got baptized in downtown. He's experienced more of the region than many of us have. And for some reason, he hit this wall. The brothers were talking to him. They said, hey, we just don't feel that close to you. We feel like there's a distance. Now, I didn't experience that. Mike didn't experience it. When we met Paul, he was an open book, always talking. But the brothers in downtown were feeling like, man, there's a block here. He comes to my house. Dave, you know, there's a block. And, and, um, you know, you got to understand, Paul Paul talks like I preach. His conversation is all all energetic, right? And, you know, but I think they're right. There's this this going on. How do I break through this? How do I break this? I go, you know what? You got to partner with purpose. You got to start thinking, okay, what am I going to do for God and who am I going to do it with? He goes, oh, wow, I'll do that. That night, there was a guy who got baptized in downtown. He was there, and he saw how open-hearted that brother was that got baptized. He says, wow, I'm beginning to see what it's like to be open-hearted. He goes, hey, bro, let's partner together. And then he just got so fired up, text, pictures. Hey, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. This is what, you know, he's so fired up. He goes, wow, I finally found Christianity. This is so amazing. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is, this is uh, you know, awesome. But what turned it around was he decided, I'm going to pull someone into my life, and we're going to do something for God together. And he changed from an immature Christian to a mature one. And let me tell you about partnership. It doesn't benefit you right away. And many of us, we want discipling because who does discipling benefit? It's actually supposed to benefit you. But do you want partnership? Where together, we're going to do something great for God. Not for each other, not for ourselves, but for God. John 15, verse 27. Let's take a look. Parenthetically, Jesus said, but this is to fulfill, uh, actually, verse 27, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says, hey, my partnership with you has a purpose. You've been with me from the beginning. Now it's like, you need to testify like the Spirit does. See, partnership is the pattern of Jesus. Partnership is the heart of God. Partnership is this just experience God wants you to have so you could be fulfilled. You go, how do I know that? Go to verse 9. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You know, God just wants you to be happy. How many of you want to be happy today? Give me an amen. Amen. Yeah, you, you know, don't you want to feel joy? Say amen if you want to feel joy. Yeah, you want to feel joy. You want to feel happy. Who doesn't want that? But God says, guess what? We've got to be into each other. There's got to be this sense of partnership. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one, my, one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Do you see the humility of Jesus? I want you to be my friend. I want you to know how I'm feeling. I want you to be part of my life, even though you will let me down. Even though you won't get it. Even though you won't understand. It's interesting. Paul introduced me to the guy he's really partnering with. And so we hung out. And so he goes, can I hang out with you, Dave? I go, okay. So I hung out with him privately. And he was telling me his life story. And, and he goes, well, gosh, everyone, you know, am I being too open? That's what he's saying. You know, am I going to bug people by being too open? And I said, no. How many of you yearn to be with Christians going, am I being too open? Like, that's awesome, right? But I said this, you know, a lot of times, because he had gone through a major tragedy, and I'm not going to describe that for you. He went through a major tragedy, and he said, I had just kept that bottle up for years. I had been bitter. My relationships had declined. And when I started studying the Bible, I got open about it. And when I heard about that tragedy, I don't think many people have gone through or experienced what he did. It's very unique, very specific. And so sometimes if you go through something and you feel like, man, I'm the only one in this room who's gone through this. Have you ever felt that way? And you feel so alone or afraid or scared or angry, but you're just by yourself. And to be be honest with you, no one can relate. But you share what you're going through. So at least you know that someone knows. And you'll feel less alone. And he started realizing that. He goes, I can talk to more people now, more and more about it. And for some reason, I feel freer. I feel more open. You see, this is the heart of Jesus, though. He's saying, this is God himself saying, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Can you be with me? You know, East Cities, we're not alone. We're alone by choice. A lot of times I've heard when we walked into this, you go, oh, we're the redheaded stepchild of the region. You know who else used to feel that way? Faith Point, whatever is called South Cities. When I moved here from uh, Hawaii, back then, all of this ministry was based up in kind of Westchester area, uh, Ladera. The ministry was based up there. And so the redheaded stepchild was actually South Cities. Isn't that interesting? And, and, and so sometimes we can just get, we're the only, we're the lonely, and we just kind of hole up and say, we're, and we make that our identity. Instead of, why don't I be like Jesus? Can you keep watch with me? Why not call people and say, can you be with me? Can you say, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Can we have some of those teens come here? Can we have some of those singles come here? Can we have some of those campus come here? Can we just, that's why, uh, you know, I said, hey, Faith Point, why don't we come out here and celebrate together? Because I appreciate the, the Sanchez's. They'll ask. They'll say, hey, can you help us? Can you be with us? And it wins hearts. There's no shame in that. There's only power. And people may not understand. They may not get you. 
But are you going to be like Jesus and say, can you come into my life and can we partner? Can we be close? Because we're supposed to be like Jesus. Do you guys understand that? To be a disciple means to be like Jesus. I want you to remember, that's what one faith means. When we're a one faith church, we have one definition of a saving faith. And that's the faith in Jesus enough to want to be like him. Not to want to receive him. Not to want to just have him save you. Jesus is not the Avon lady knocking in the door saying, oh, come on in. It's like Jesus is the Lord. And we need to have the faith to say, I want to be just like you, Jesus. I want to imitate you. I want to be friends with you. That's what Jesus says. I no longer call you servants, verse 15, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Jesus said, you know what? I want you to be like me. And I chose you, and I appointed you to love many people like I would love them. And we need to make that our purpose. Brothers and sisters, you cannot keep sitting all over this congregation. It is unloving. It is. Let me just call it out. You are all saying, well, I'm hurting, and no one ever asks me about how I'm doing. What are you going to do? How are you doing? You can't do that. We walk in selfish. We don't go, hey, come sit over here. Come, come on, come be next to me. Can you be warm? Can you be a walking hug? Can you come close to me? Well, I'm not doing well. Can you say, I'm not doing well. Can you keep watch with me? It's what Jesus would do. It's his heart. We're not here to judge each other or wonder who's safe or not. Jesus was super vulnerable with unsafe people. Because you don't know where the gem is. You don't know where the prize is. When I was little, they used to put prizes in cereal boxes. Remember that? Oh, my goodness, I love, you know, and it worked, man, as a kid. I want that cereal because I knew there was a prize in it. Yeah, cereal was totally bad for me, right? I mean, it's filled with sugar. You know, I'm allergic to corn. It's made out of corn. It was just, like, toxic, but there was a prize. And, you know, I'd be, like, shaking it, pushing it, feeling the box to see where it was. I figured out how you pull out the plastic thing, and you could look, and then find that prize because, yes, it's there. Did you know there are prizes right here, right now? Shake up the fellowship. Find the prize. Open the box on the bottom. Whatever it takes. Dump it out. So I just want you to know, that's what the faith of the Bible is. Don't be fooled by uh, mass Christianity where Christianity is just, hey, accept Jesus in your life. No, real Christianity is experience Jesus' resurrection power. Go to the cross like he would. Lay down your life for your friends and watch what God does with power. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, and, and you ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We need to be fruitful people. We need to be pouring out the love of Jesus to many people. And that's how you're going to bond. No one ever bonds through selfishness. How did you guys become such good friends? Oh, well, we were just completely selfish in meeting our own needs. Who would ever... Who? That doesn't make sense, right? Oh, you know, how did you guys become such good friends? Well, I kept how I was feeling and what I was thinking to myself. And, and, and so did he, and eventually we became best friends. Ah, right? That doesn't make sense, Right? Real best friendships are rooted in shared purpose. We have brothers and sisters here who have bonded over hardship and, and, and difficult times. And we, we meet in faith groups where people just kind of share what they're going through. And you go, well, that, that's cool. It's not the exact friendship God was intending. He says, I want you to have more. Now, all those things are good, so I don't want you to, like, that was wrong, bad. No, but more. You go, okay, we are stitching each other up. What are we going to do for Jesus? We're encouraging each other, but gosh, we've got to take it to the streets. And so you're going to see how much that friendship starts blossoming. Who outside of this group can we encourage? When you sit next to your friends in church, you go, who else can we meet? Turn your key relationships into a launching pad. Don't make it an island. So let me kind of give you some practicals that we can kind of pursue. Are you with me on this? Here's all we need to do. One, I want you to make a conscious and vocal decision. What do you mean by conscious? I mean, I want you to get with God, write it down, but I want it to be vocal. You need to tell people, I've made this decision. You can do it today like I want to make this decision, but you've got to get with God and dig deep and realize, wow, I, how, how much have I been winging it and how much have I been waiting for someone to pluck me out of my muck? Instead of going, gosh, I've got to be like Jesus and say, keep watch with me because my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Make a conscious and vocal decision. One, I'm here to love, not to get love. I'm on this earth to love, not to get love. Your life will change if you make that, that decision. I am here to love and not to get love. And number two, I'm here to make a difference. Through your mistakes, you can make a difference. Through your victories, you can make a difference. Through your hardships, you can make a difference. I was talking to my wife. My wife and I, we've had very different backgrounds. My wife actually has a very, actually very traumatized background relative to me. I won't go into her story, but one of the things is that her father, when she was six months old, got into a um, permanently debilitating car accident where he was left schizophrenic and um, institutionalized for the rest of his life. So the only way she knew her father was as a mentally disabled person. But she has many, many hardships single mom, all sorts of things, raised from place to place, home to home. You know, as we're driving, every time we go, oh, I used to live there. Oh, I used to live there. I used to live there. You know, and some of them are like really bad places. You're like, Ugh. Um, 
I grew up in a very stable home. My parents are still in the house that I've been in since I was two. <laughs> you know, they take care of me still way more than I take care of them. And, um, but what my wife has done, we we're just saying, you know, wow, all we, I talked about, I celebrated her. You've taken all your hardship and used it as a resource to help so many people. You know, it, it, it's funny because sometimes we could, and she goes, well, well, yeah, but I send a whole lot too. And I said, even then, it can be a resource. Our mistakes could be a resource. Our hardships can be a resource. Our victories could be a resource. You know, I share the, my good looks as a resource to everyone. <laughs> What's so funny? Anyways. I'm here to love, not get love. I'm here to make a difference. Once you make that conscious and vocal decision, pursue partnership. So you don't pursue the partnership and you, until you decide to be a partner. And if you're a purposeless, purpose, purposeless person, you're pursuing help. But when you decide you have a purpose, then you can get partnership. Well, how do I get partnership, Dave? One, pursue advice. If a partner is not obvious, ask for help. Now, let me tell you, ask for help Jesus, the Jesus way. Hey, I need help. People won't come through. Okay, well, address it with them. You know, I know the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I need help. Okay. Sometimes you don't get help the first time, the third time, or the fifth time. Okay, Jesus went and had to pray twice before going to the cross, not just once. He had to wrestle blood dripping from his forehead. Once you find that partner, commit to each other officially. And I want to tell you, whoever you decide to partner with is going to be horrible at partnering with you. They just will. All of a sudden, all the reasons why you can't be close will come up. How do you know that? If you're married, and we have a lot of married people today because they're singles at the conference, right? It happened when you got married. You thought, oh, this is my soulmate, my spiritual genetic twin, you know, uh, oh my goodness, and you made vows, I'm going to be this and that for you, and I'm going to be so perfect for you because you're so perfect for me. And then, boom. Yep. And what makes you get through it? You officially committed to each other. And you go, we're going to get through this thing. You're going to get humble. You go, I need discipling. Can someone help me get along with my partner? You know, you're going to do all sorts of things. If you don't officially commit, you'll quit. And lastly, you forge it. It's do or die. We're going to make this great. We're going to make it great. That's the only way it grows. And so I just want us to understand, we're going to be covering kind of the, you know, purposeful partnerships for whenever I'm speaking. And I'm not sure how many times I'm going to be speaking, but because we know it's a single service next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, we're going to have the guest speaker and we'll have all of um, faith, uh, not all of Faith Point, as many as can come here. So I'll be doing a small service there, but we're trying to get most of Faith Point to be here. So because we have a special speaker, let's make it special. But let's be people who pull people in. Make Faith Point decide, wow, I don't want to go back to Gardena. I want to stay here. Can you do that for me? Yeah. Okay? Yes, go come. 
come here. We need you. We want you. We love you. Please. Look at all the room we have here. Is that parking? Just go, please come. What if they say no? Who cares? Just put your heart out there and, you know, more people can come. Are you, are you really saying that? Yeah, I don't care where people worship. I work with both groups. It's easy. The more people that come together in one group, the easier it is for me. Yeah. Well, I can't. I just, I don't, I don't tell people like that. So I've been fighting and wrestling with God very hard to figure out how to best meet the needs of both groups. It's not that it's two groups. That's not what makes it hard. What makes it hard is there's a 9 a.m. and a 10 a.m. service, and that's what makes it hard. And much of our work gets done on the Sunday. And so I'm just trying to figure out how to get every, you know, be present at every Sunday service for everyone. It's been a block. We're praying for a solution. But this is one of them. Bring them on here. So I'm going to see if that could work. Does that sound good? Shh. We won't tell them that. All right. So I just want you to make a conscious and vocal decision and then pursue partnership. Can you do it? Just really think about it. And lastly, I just want to motivate you with God's blessing. You know, here, here's what, look at what it says. It just says, gosh, ask me whatever you want. I'll do it for you. Jesus says, my joy will be complete in you. There is just this idea that I'm going to feel this blessing. I'm going to feel this joy that's indescribable. Don't you want that? Yes. I'm telling you, it comes through partnership. Most people, when I preach this, they go, well, who's your partner, Dave? I've always had a partner from the day I was baptized. That's the, that's the weird part. I, you know, this probably, to date, is the least amount of partnership I've had. But to be honest with you, I feel very partnered with the Sanchez's. I think they're, they're incredible friends to us. Um, but I think the, uh, when I was baptized, it was me and this guy named Leonard Kim. We just hang out all the time. Yes, Leonard and Dave Kim. It's like we're, you know... Um, and that's what happened. Then, then I had this, my best friend, Doug Chin. He and I are best friends to this day. Um, you know, he's in Hawaii, went to law school together. We got married roughly around the same time, and our two oldest daughters are the same age. Right? Then when I moved here, they partnered me with a couple of people. John, John Cousy never discipled me, just me, up until maybe 20, 2006. I had moved here in 2000. So I'd been partnered most of my time as a Christian and been side by side with people, never having like one over another, but just having a friend. And I'm telling you, it makes life easier. And, and I believe in getting discipled. I believe in discipling. But it's so much better when you are blessed together with your partner. And you start realizing, wow, life is good. God is good. I'm not alone. And I'm really understanding what it means to live Father, Son, Holy Spirit in complete love because God is love, and that's what he wants for all of us. So can we start partnering with purpose as we move forward together? Amen? Amen. Have a great time in fellowship.